Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are previewing R.J. Barrett's 2021-22 to season. So we brought on one of the premier R.J. Barrett experts out there. We have Derek Reifer, who you might know from about a million different places online. He writes for the Strickland. He runs a page called R.J. Barrett Stats on Twitter. He also founded and runs a site and Twitter account called Corner 3 Sports, all of which you should check out. They have fantastic statistical analysis. And Gavin, today, I think Derek came here and brought some fantastic R.J. Barrett analysis for this episode. Yeah, Alex, we go deep on everything R.J. with Derek, including all the improvements we expect him to see next year, whether he can make a jump in his finishing around the basket, um, just under the free throw line, how his passing can take a jump with better teammates this year, the responsibilities that will be on him defensively, the implications on his performance this year towards his next contract. And finally, we go around the league with other young players. Would we take R.J. Barrett over dot, dot, dot to find out who that is, to listen to everything R.J. Barrett and what we expect from him next season? Tune in right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are joined today by a very special guest. We are going to be previewing R.J. Barrett's upcoming season. So who better to come on than Derek Reifer? He is a contributor at the Strickland. He founded Corner 3 Sports, which, if you're not following, probably tweets out some of the coolest stats that you've never heard of and or never seen visualized before. So definitely follow Quarter 3 Sports on Twitter and runs a really fun page if you're an R.J. Barrett fan, which is called R.J. Barrett Stats on Twitter as well, uh, which, Derek, I got to give you props. You've been tweeting an R.J. Barrett play per day every single day since the end of the season, which is an impressive endeavor. Uh, And we're almost to the point where you're not going to have to do that anymore and can just start talking about stuff that's happening live. But uh, how are you doing, Derek? What's going on? How has your offseason been and all that good stuff? Thank you for the intro, man, and and really glad to be on. Really excited to chat some RJ, as always. Yeah. My offseason's been great. My offseason's been great. Um, As you know, I've been watching plenty of RJ Barrett film. I think at this point, I've rewatched every single bucket that he scored this past season, (laughs) planning out which one I'm going to tweet so I could end it perfectly on – on well let's just we'll leave that one spoiler alert so i can end it perfectly on the one i want to end it on let's put it that way <laughs> well i look forward to seeing the stunning conclusion uh in the next <laughs> few weeks as to what the the final rj barrett bucket is going to be uh but in the meantime we can talk about his upcoming season here so obviously last year i mean i, I think went pretty well 
uh, shot over 40% from three. And it's made even more impressive by the fact that if you take out the first, like, I think it's 12 games or so of the season, he shot almost 45% down the stretch of the season last year. Uh, No small feat for sure. Uh, Especially considering how poorly he started shooting from three. If he had two games against Indiana, uh, which were really, really good. I think he shot, it was like three or three in the opener from three or something like that. And then like, he had like a four or five game against them a few games later, but otherwise he had a stretch of like, Oh, for 21 at one point in there from three. And, and it was really abysmal to start the season. So the fact that he managed to shoot well enough to make up for that huge of a sample size of futility early in the season really says a lot about how far his shooting came last year. Um, then, you know, other parts of his game seemed to develop pretty well as well. He still was good at getting into the into the lane. And, you know, he he ran a lot of really nice little actions with Mitch. There was this play that we've referenced a, a number of times where they just had this nice little designed play early on in games for RJ and Mitch, where it would be a quick pick from Mitch at up near the top of the three-point line. RJ would take it and just come screaming around that pick like he was going to the hoop, and he would either go all the way or find Mitch for a lob or, or just a dump off pass. Really nice little play that they used to run. Kind of showed RJ's playmaking a little bit. His defense still, I think, was phenomenal. Um, but Derek, I'll throw it to you. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of RJ. He, he definitely made huge strides. The biggest was the shooting, obviously, in his second year. And that was a huge question mark coming out of college. Like, can RJ Barrett shoot the three? And I think definitively this year we can say yes. Yeah, he can shoot the three. Uh, whether he can start doing it in a variety of ways, which we'll get to in a minute, is a different story. But I guess the the opening thing that I want to start with here, and this is the thing that I feel like I always come to when I start thinking about R.J. Barrett, is do you think he can make the leap to all-star caliber player as soon as this year? Or do you think that we're still going to be at least like a year or so away from that? Yeah, uh, first of all, I think that was a great summary. Obviously, I agree that it was really a wonderful season for him. I think Probably it went just about as well as it could have possibly gone after his rookie year. Uh, you know, his rookie year, obviously, lots of volume. He was putting up a lot of great counting stats. The efficiency wasn't there. And obviously, the context, the team context wasn't there either his rookie year. Um, but I think that's what dinged him with some of those voters for for snubbing him off of those all-rookie teams, considering just how much work he did his rookie year. But then coming in his sophomore year to improve his efficiency in pretty much every spot of his game and also increase that scoring overall, which is really, really impressive to see. You mentioned the three-point shooting. Yeah, he was actually 101 of 228 from three since February 1st. So that's 44.3%, and that's a pretty massive sample size. Yes, most of that was coming on spot-ups, a lot of those open looks, uh, but a pretty massive improvement from what we saw his rookie year and early in his sophomore season uh, to your point. So yeah, to summarize really great, really great year in terms of next year and the year after, you know, I want to temper the expectations a little bit on all-star this season. Is it impossible? No, absolutely not. Um, It seems still unlikely that he'd be an all-star in year three from my perspective. One, we're bringing in a couple more higher usage type offensive players around him. I wouldn't be shocked if those shot attempts per game or even the overall usage drops pretty significantly for RJ this year, Would which would hurt his all-star candidacy. Uh, not to say that he can't improve as a player, even improve as a player drastically next season without becoming an all-star. Although I do think 
on the future horizon. Uh, there still is, there still are one or two all-star berths at the very least uh, in his future. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, a great point, Derek. And I, I think the progress we're going to see from RJ will be incremental, but consistent because that's sort of been the story with him his whole career. He's someone who puts in the work and finally has a cohesive plan because the big thing that, I mean, we, we can go back. There was a great, I mean, there were a couple of great stories on it. Tim Bontemps did a really good one for ESPN. Michael Grange did a really good one for Sportsnet Canada. Um, we, we, we saw all the reporting that before his rookie year, he spent three months essentially transforming his shot. Drew Hanlon kind of implemented it um, in, in such a way that he was able to have his left arm not directly under the ball like you traditionally would, but further out, which um, allegedly, and, and I would even take off the allegedly because it clearly worked from this year, uh, gave him a lot more flexibility. So he basically spent three months like working that shot, drilling it in. And anyone who's ever changed their jump shot playing basketball knows it's an extraordinarily hard thing to do. There's years and years of muscle memory to undo and then rebuild. And when you're doing it on the greatest stage imaginable as a, a teenager playing against the best players in the world, it's really, really hard. But then to to add a triple layer of difficulty, the Knicks were, of course, uh, led by David Fisdale against that change and said, no, 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 that's not how you shoot. You shoot with your arm underneath the ball. And that basically sabotaged his entire rookie season and led to that inefficiency that you guys both referenced last year with the full off season. And I think most importantly, Drew Hanlon um, and Leon Rose, who previously had a relationship because Hanlon had trained a lot of Leon Rose's clients on the same page and Tom Thibodeau on the same page that allowed like everyone to move in the same direction. And like RJ Barrett, I think with momentum behind him, just in the sense that everyone was supporting the same vision, I think is a dangerous thing because we know the guy, like what you hear over and over again from personnel on the Knicks, executives around the league, and even his own teammates, he's willing to put in the work. He's going to get done what he needs to do to get better. Last season, it was just figuring out that shot. You you, you mentioned um, just how much better he got throughout the year. We, we remember just how horrific the start was. I mean, three for three from three, his first game of the year. Then he misses 21 straight. Then he has a game where he goes four for five. Then three for 25. Over his next six games, it was disastrous, but he kept the confidence. And that that is ultimately the defining characteristic of RJ is that he deeply believes internally that he will be a star and that he will eventually be an all star. And I think even even the little like bits and pieces we saw from him this summer playing for him, playing for Team Canada were really encouraging because that, that Hawks playoff series like certainly wasn't in a lot of ways. And RJ Obviously, didn't get a lot of the blame for that because we focused all of our attention on Julius Randle, but we can all say pretty definitively that that series was disappointing. And yet, in terms of his long-term prospects, I'm relatively encouraged because I think, again, it's it's hard to tell because international competition is not NBA competition. Like, I think his his last game where Canada got eliminated was against a Czech Republic team that did not have many guys that are in the league. And yet, you watch him play even in that game. I, I was going through the highlights before we came on today. He was finding answers. He was hitting pull-up threes off the dribble. He had new little wrinkles around the basket, a little push shot, a reverse pivot into a jump hook. And I think that's ultimately what he needs to do is continuing to find like little bits of skill to add on to his game. He's as good of an athlete as he is. He's never going to be that Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo that just can blow through people consistently. And because of the issues with his shot, that's what he had to try to do as a rookie. But he's gotten to the point now where he has enough skill to compensate for that, he figured out how to snake a pick and roll with the help of Johnny Bryan. He just needs to keep building on those little skill points. And that's why I'm, I'm 100% with you, Derek. I don't think it's going to happen this year. 
also because there were some questions about what exactly his role will be this year. But I think we're going to see another improvement, and then we're going to see another even bigger leap in year four, which is around the time year four, year five, where I would start projecting that all-star games are a pretty realistic possibility for him. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our first break and talk about DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without any of that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. A compatible device is required and content varies by package. All right, guys, let's tell you about another one of our favorites. It's Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports expert Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was fundamentally broken. Games are being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. And Game Pick owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponents simply had more scheduled players over a week are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work, also over. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive rankings, pace of play, and any other variable you can think of. All that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper, crack the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. We promise you will not be disappointed. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I, I you know I think that I would probably lean the same direction uh, as far as when he might be able to make that all-star leap. And I think that there's something to be said for this year, actually, regression on paper sort of being a good thing for him. And and so I want to run this by you, Derek. Uh, we talk about on this show and, you know, obviously it comes up a lot in Twitter discourse and and articles online and, uh, you know, various other things that, you know, there's there's a lot of value in creation now in the NBA. And, you know, that's part, a large part of the reason why the Knicks decide to move on from Reggie Bullock and bring in Evan Fournier. It's a huge reason why having Kemba Walker should be a, an enormous upgrade over Alfred Payton. Um, and for R.J. Barrett, it's something that is going to be a key skill for him going forward is how much can he create. So when I just said a moment ago that regression could be a good thing, what I mean is, if we see some regression in RJ's shooting numbers this year, could that actually be a good thing? Because I think that we saw, you know, those games that Gavin was mentioning against international competition, um, you know, versus the Czech Republic and whoever else in those Olympic qualifiers, RJ, you know, granted against lesser competition was showing a lot of skills in those games, um, you know, showing off step backs, you know, that he was, you know, he's hitting, hitting step back threes and, um, you know, pulling up just off the dribble and shooting three-pointers, which is not something that we saw him do very comfortably in the NBA through his first two years. So if he can add that sort of thing, sort of similar to how Julius Randle did this past year, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a valuable skill for him. What what needs to be 
allowed and supported, I guess, this year is that I think that Tibbs is going to need to say it's okay if RJ doesn't shoot at 40% and we're, you know, if we're letting him try to develop these skills, as long as it's not costing us like an astronomical amount of wins, you know, I think you can, you can give, you can, you know, have one or two bad RJ games where he tries to hit step backs and pull ups and everything else and just shoots a lower percentage because it'll ultimately get him more comfortable with that shot. And maybe even by the end of this year, you'll start seeing returns on that. But as I was saying, let, you know, let's say that he shoots, I don't know, 30, let's say like 36 and a half, 37% on volume this year, like very slightly above average mm-hmm. compared to his, you know, very impressive 41% last year, which, you know, is that puts you in like the upper echelon as far as three point shooters in the league, particularly on volume. Do you think, Derek, that that could be a good thing for him to actually regress a little bit shooting the ball? Uh, but hopefully not an overall field goal percentage because hopefully his finishing will get a little better. Yeah, absolutely agree. I was actually about to add that caveat. Uh, one, I I think even as a big R.J. Barrett fan, I personally would not expect him to shoot 40% from three again next season. I, I'll be very happy if he does, but... Uh, it's a really high number and and it's hard to replicate, especially if he is starting to expand his game from behind the arc. I think it will be a, I think for his development, it's obviously one of the best things he can possibly do for himself and for his teammates down the road. Uh, We've already touched on a little bit how that's kind of been the main focus. It seems this off season with his trainer, Drew Hanlon, uh, just opening up the rest of his game with that pull-up shooting. I think a a lot of advanced stats studies have shown that the gravity for, for a player behind the arc actually is correlated more to the number of shots that they're going to take from three than how well they actually shoot from three. So, you know, someone's willingness to, to take a tough shot or to shoot very often many times in a game, that's actually going to have a bigger impact on whether that defender is going to close out hard uh, than, you know, whether someone is shooting 39% versus 40% from behind the arc. So I think in terms of his long-term growth and becoming harder to guard, it's going to be about shooting more from three and a more diverse array of different types of shots that he can take from behind the arc. So that's going to be pretty big. Obviously, most of his shooting behind the arc last year came assisted from his teammates, most notably Julius Randle. I would hope that the efficiency inside the arc to your to your kind of late point there is an improvement. Uh, he, he is a very good finisher, as he's shown. Most of his finishing ability is derived from simply his ability to get to the rim at ease. He's really, really great at getting to the rim, not as great at finishing once he's actually there. Um, and I think, you know, that's something you see while actually just watching him play, it's something that comes through in the advanced numbers as well. So if you look at his B-Ball Index profile, so B-Ball Index, for those who don't know, you should check out their site. They run a lot of advanced metrics and tracking on NBA players in terms of like drives per possession, total shots at the rim per possession, unassisted shots at the rim per possession. He ranked in the 85th percentile or higher in just about all of those numbers. So the guy just gets to the rim. It's a matter of whether he's finishing when he gets there. You know, he's actually at around the 48th percentile this past season uh, at finishing once he gets to the rim, which was an improvement from his rookie year. But I would like to see that improve next year. A, with his personal development of his skills, but also with probably a better team concept around him in terms of shooting and in terms of playmaking. 
I think to kind of circle back to your original point, though, I think it's going to be a difficult balance, and I'm really interested to see how Tom Thibodeau strikes it in terms of actually curating the development of R.J. Barrett and some of the other young players on the Knicks roster, right? Now, the expectations are a lot different than they were coming into last season. You know, last season, nobody really expected a four seed. It was seen more of as a developmental year for the team. The development clearly happened and was accelerated. You know, you bring in better talent from other teams, uh, hopefully some internal development as well from the guys the Knicks have on the roster. So you can already see Knicks fans and even other fans around the league starting to have some real expectations for this team. So, you know, Tom Thibodeau, at least what you hear about him around the league is he's kind of a ruthless win at all costs kind of a guy. Now, he definitely had no qualms playing R.J. Barrett quite a lot last year. He was top five in the league in minutes played along with Julius Randle. So clearly Tibbs thinks that the guy should be on the court. It is concerning. Well, I don't know if concerning is the right word, but I'm interested to see just how much his offensive repertoire is allowed to expand next season on a winning team when he probably won't be the second option anymore as he was last year. I mean, if he is the second option, I think that'll be great for his personal development. I'm just not sure if I'm going to see that, especially with Fournier and Kemba Walker in the fold. I don't know. Do you guys disagree? No, I get it. That, that's exactly where I wanted to go next, Derek. I mean, wh- where do you think he ultimately ranks in the pecking order? Because, and I, I mean, I think it's it, to some extent, it's, it's an unfair question, one that's impossible to answer because we spent the first 20 or so minutes of this pod breaking down mm-hmm. that he's going to be better this year. Like we, we don't know exactly where the improvements will come to the extent to which that they will happen, but they will happen. And if he makes a mega leap, which sometimes guys do in year three, then all of a sudden, like he could be the second option on this team. There's a world where he's the first option on this team. I think that's incredibly unlikely, but it's not, it's not totally insane. Um, But there's also a world where he's the fourth option on this team. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see, I mean, to your guys' point, just how much that limits his development but also, like, not really how it plays out from a chemistry perspective, because I just don't, I think, especially if the Knicks are winning and doing well, RJ's just not that guy to raise an issue with it. But I'm curious into how that factors into, like, how the Knicks look at him as a long-term piece. Obviously, we just spent the whole summer talking about him being a potential trade chip for a Damian Lillard or a Brad Beal. Um, I did not spend time talking about well, that. Well, yeah, of course. Of course <laughs> yeah, the, the man who runs the RJ Barrett stats page cannot indulge such uh, insanity. But it just, I mean, theoretically, that's, that's still a conversation that's ongoing and will continue to be ongoing as long as Damian Lillard is on the trailblazers and as long as the trailblazers aren't obvious NBA title contenders. Um, And then beyond that, I mean, what his next contract will look like. And there's a version of RJ this year. That's just a improved version of last year, right? Like still super, super efficient as a spot up three point shooter, maybe taking one or two threes off the dribble every game, but nothing really crazy in that respect, nothing in line with sort of the best perimeter options in the NBA. There's a guy who's more efficient between three to 10 feet, which isn't something that um, we, we totally touched on yet, but even beyond the around the rim stuff last year, RJ from three to 10 feet, at, at least through May 11th, he was shooting 33.7% on those shots. That was the fifth worst mark in the league. Not that he took those at an incredibly high volume, but maybe an area that he'll have to exploit with so much three point shooting on the roster now and Mr. Robinson hovering around the rim. But let's just say he is that guy this year, just a, a, a role player, but a hyper efficient one. I, I'll, I'll start with you, Derek. Do you think that, changes the I I guess like negotiating context in terms of his next contract is it pretty much a lock that he'll get close to the max um, if he continues to show improvement even if it's not a massive jump to start him 
All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our second break and talk about Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There's something for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. Know what my favorite player favorite flavor is? It's It has to be coconut. I'm just a huge, huge coconut fan. In general, there's something about it in bar form. I don't, I don't know. It's just it's perfect for me. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box where you get two of each of the nine. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, they're healthy too. Check out the stats. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180. This is the key to me. Only four to five grams of sugar. That is extraordinarily low for a protein bar. And only four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. It's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use our promo code NFL100 from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports using our promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Yeah, so I think A, I would still be happy with a hyper efficient role player next season. I think those are the kind of guys that every team in the NBA wants to have. So in terms of the impact on negotiations, you know, I, I can't really speak to that directly. I'm not sure exactly what the Knicks are looking for internally. I think right now it kind of feels like he's on that max contract kind of a track, right? Uh, at least if he continues the improvement that we saw last season, you know, some of the other guys that are kind of similar type players, you know, Colin Sexton, he didn't improve to quite the extent that RJ did. Now Cleveland is kind of sitting on their thumbs a little bit. You look at similar age type guys. I think he's a very similar, a comparative player in terms of talent to a De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox did get paid, uh, and now he's kind of, it's kind of a question of is he going to improve enough to outplay that contract? Is he kind of just met on the contract relative to what he's being paid. I think this year will really speak to what RJ can do on a winning team. I know that the Knicks were technically a winning team last season, but again, expectations a little bit higher. The talent level around him certainly higher, at least on paper. So I think this will be really, really a billing year for those contract negotiations, obviously with the, the clock finally starting to tick a little bit after year three. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of feel sort of similar about it. Like, I think he's on the, and this actually, this, this will bring us to another question here in a minute, because you brought up the contract, but I feel like he's sort of on that max contract trajectory too, but also sort of on that weird path right now, where if it was right this second, you know, like, let's say that, let's say that he just finished his third year doing what he just did. And we were in, you know, rookie extension talk time frame here of trying to figure out, oh, should the Knicks give him his, you know, rookie max extension or not, which would probably start, I think, uh, I want to say that it, it would start around 30 million or maybe, maybe more like 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, large sum of money, probably, probably more than what Julius Randle <laughs> is making currently, which is kind of crazy and kind of underscores just how big of a pay cut Julius took. Um, but 
you know, I, I don't know for sure that I would be a hundred percent comfortable with handing him that contract just yet, but I, I'm going to hold off on that for just a sec, just to talk about like the pecking order thing. I do definitely think that they, they value what RJ brings to the team and Tibbs definitely does. I mean, because for all of the crap that Tibbs takes about, you know, Tibbs never plays young players. Tibbs hates, you know, rookies, second year players, whatever. Like you need to be like a vet to play under Tibbs. I mean, he took a second year player that the previous year had put up, you know, Derek, you mentioned earlier, you know, good counting stats, but not, not anything too spectacular. Um, You know, and, and, certainly percentage wise was not the best and Tibbs does, you know, for all of his flaws of the past, he does seem to have a pretty good grasp on, you know, percentages and all that stuff. Now, uh, as far as analytics are concerned, you know, he took that guy, saw what he, you know, saw what he had in him in training camp and then said, okay, well, I'm going to play you the second most minutes on the team and top 10 in the league. And that's exactly what he did with RJ. And granted some of that playing time waned a little bit as the season went on. And, you know, if RJ was struggling a little bit or, or honestly, well, they Derek Rose too, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, from just about everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got Derek Rose in the fold and then there was also, you know, there was like some nights Burks and Bullock would both be cooking. So then he would just, it wouldn't really be RJ's fault, but those two would be playing so well that Tibbs would just kind of ride them for the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the game. Um, but like, I think that Tibbs trusts him and and wants him to have a big role on this team. I think the front office wants the same thing. I think that by adding Kemba and Fournier, you're kind of just trying to make this team an embarrassment of riches in many ways, which, you know, the best teams have to be. You have to have a number of different options that can get you a bucket in any given time. And I think Kemba and Fournier will do that. If I had to guess, I would say on an ideal night, Randall is is always and will always be the number one option, you know, period, because he's he's like the franchise now. But I think that on any given night, you could see situations where, you know, Kemba and RJ might pass pass around that number two option, uh, depending on who's feeling it the most that night, depending on, you know, the situationally, like if if the Knicks are playing, um, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of a team like with a with a really nasty defensive point guard you know let's say that they're playing like uh i don't know boston and marcus yeah, smart Fox. is yeah 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 so, someone like that you know they're playing they're playing a team that, where the other team has a guy that can give kemba fits and you know i could see a world where rj becomes the second option uh on those nights particularly if he's allowed to bust out some of those new skills so um i guess we'll see as, as far as that's concerned uh but the, actually, I, you know, I just mentioned it again, you know, the, the contract extension. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to throw that back to you, Derek, and, and then we can go to Gavin, too, about it. Like, are, do you have any worries about potentially giving him a, a max next year? Like, do you think there's a there's a world where he's not worth that contract? And I, I, I would struggle to say that he would ever be an albatross. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be the case because he's proven to be very durable through his first two seasons. So, you know, you're not going to have to deal with injuries by and large because he plays a very below the rim style of basketball for someone as athletic as he is. So he kind of, and I think it's intentional. He saves himself from injury quite a bit and from fatigue and that sort of thing. Um, so it would have to be, I think kind of a freak injury for him to, to get for that, mm. you know, durability streak to get challenged there. Uh, so you're not going to run into like a Porzingis situation where it's okay. Yeah. He definitely has a lot of talent, but can he stay on the floor? 
so I guess it just comes down to, do you think that his skills are going to be able to reach that of a rookie max player? And, you know, my heart wants to say yes, but my brain has some reservations where I'm just like, how sustainable is this stuff going to be? Is, you know, if he can't successfully add the the pull up and the step back and, you know, all that stuff game to his repertoire, if he can't get better with his finishing percentages, which like, you know, we've noted already, he's good at getting to the rim. He's good at drawing contact. One thing. Uh, I'll save this for a minute, but th- there's a certain skill with that that I think that he needs to get better at to help his finishing. But like his finishing, despite being able to get there, his numbers are not the best. Um, his free throw shooting got better this past year, but still I would not call elite or anything like that. So there is a world where if he can't add these these other aspects to his game where he might end up as sort of like a, a high-level I, I struggle to use the term three and D, but because I think he would still be more in that more than that, but like a three and D plus type of player, you know, and that might be where he ends up if if certain things stall out. And I don't think that's the case, but there is that that lingering doubt in my head that it could happen. Where do you stand with that, Derek? And like what do you think about the the future contract for RJ? Yeah, so I think you made a number of, of interesting points there. In terms of am I concerned at the moment about an RJ Max contract? Not really. I mean, that's not really going to happen. Those conversations aren't going to start for probably a little bit. And my my gut feeling is they don't really start unless he does start to show some of that improvement that we just talked about and that we would be excited about. So really that that contract doesn't happen unless he continues on the track he's on. If I think if he goes out and he puts up an identical season to what we just saw, I don't think he's right on that max contract track as or as as closely on that track as we may think. Now, obviously, the hope is that he continues to improve and puts himself onto that track. I think you are betting on the person to an extent with these long-term contracts, you know, as Gavin mentioned earlier, from everything you see, from everything you hear, just such a hard worker and and a clear plan with his trainer, you know, he talks with Drew Hanlon about having or Drew Hanlon talks about having with him like a 3 or 4 or 5 year plan down the line of what he's going to be improving on within his game every single year, which is really just such a great thing to hear when you're betting on a player long-term. And to an extent, like those are the people who know the most about the player within the organization. I think that a really great comparable case to RJ is Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics, right? He's also a third overall pick. He had a not amazing rookie year, and then he started to really improve his second and third year. And then what happened? He gets the max extension. And when he got that extension, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a lot of like, eh, Jalen Brown, I don't know if he's necessarily worth that. Uh, and then he kind of just kept getting better. And right now it's already kind of looking like a steal coming into that second year uh, of that max extension for Jalen Brown. I think a very comparable player, if you want to talk about a guy that RJ can model his career development off, I think Jalen Brown is a really great example. You mentioned kind of a 3 and D plus type of a player. You know, Jalen Brown is a, a very good shot creator. His playmaking is good, not elite. I think it's very similar to what we can see from RJ. His from what we've seen, his perimeter defense is a higher level than what we've seen from RJ. So it's really a big part. Uh, it comes back to the development and what we're going to see. Now, do I have qualms about paying a 3 and D plus type of a guy? No. I mean, I think I think 3 and D, if you can do both of those at an elite level, 
are really the two best complementary skills that any player could have in the league. I don't think that's really a controversial statement to say that. I think obviously if you're concerned that his shot creation isn't to the level that it needs to be, I think that's a legitimate concern, but you can already see with Andre some of those secondary skills, the playmaking skills that he's shown. You know, he can run a little bit of pick and roll. He can throw lobs. He can make the right pass at the right time. That's not like an, a Reggie Bullock type of a player. You know, he's already in year two was showing these types of complementary skills. And if those come along just a little bit and the shooting stays there and the defense gets better with time, then that's a player that, you know, even if it does become an overpay, it's an overpay that isn't going to be too significant because that's still a player that's going to be helping your team every night on a given night. And you called out the durability. I think that's a great point. You know, zero qualms right now about, hey, are you worth, is it worth giving long-term money to a guy who, you know, can't stay on the court? There's no reason to see that on the horizon for RJ from what we've seen right now. So, uh, you know, I don't think we're at the point yet where he's going to be a steal at a max contract or it's like give him the max contract now, but I'm definitely not at the point where I'm starting to worry that the Knicks might make a bad decision here. All right, this episode actually went a little long, so we're going to cut it short here and come back tomorrow with a second part with Derek. There's so much to talk about with RJ Barrett. Uh, So in the final episode of this two-part episode, we are going to talk about some skills that RJ Barrett can work on going into this coming season or what we, what we hope that he works on. And uh, we had some pretty good answers as far as that. And we, we ruled shooting out, you know, the step back and pull up shooting. We talked about that enough early on in the episode, and that's obviously his top skill to work on. So we try to think a little out of the box there. And then we play a little game of whether we would take RJ Barrett over certain players to end the episode uh, and it's, it's a pretty fun discussion, you know, because we talk about some players low and high, but it, mostly in the same general tier as RJ that have been, you know, kind of lightning rods along with RJ for, you know, would you rather have player X or player Y uh, versus RJ Barrett? And so we'll talk about that to end the episode and it's, it's a fun, fun little discussion that you'll definitely want to tune in for. So tune in tomorrow for that until next time though. Peace out. We will talk to you all tomorrow.